Welcome to Base, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me as always is my old friend, fellow weirdo, a man of many mysteries, Mr. Stephen James Buckley. Thank you. Hi, everyone. That is indeed me. I say that every time. I need to think of a different thing to say that's a bit snappier and weirder, but I just, I don't know. I don't know what overcomes me. It'll come in time. Yeah, I'm not as professional as you. It could be, it could be the excitement about today's guest. So today's guest is an occult detective, author, artist, musician, psychonaut, game designer, long swordsman, bushcrafter, dungeon master, runecaster, Howard purist, and wizard. It's Mr. Bob Freeman. Hello, Bob. Hey, nice to meet you both in uh, the cyber realm. I've yeah. really enjoyed talking with you on, on Twitter and such, and uh, it's great to finally see your faces. And oh, thank you, yeah. yeah it's I mean, excellent it's, to see you. Yeah, we, we've, we, I think we've, we've mentioned before that sort of you were almost technically our first fan because you were the first person who publicly spoke about our podcast who oh. wasn't someone we already knew. You know, it wasn't one of our friends or something from like real life, if you like, who was sharing it. So it was the first kind of stranger that was into us. So oh, well, it was it was a big deal when you first tweeted about us. So so thank you for that. Well, I, I'm honored. Yeah. Um, well, we like the same things. So uh, yeah, kindred uh, spirits. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I don't always put a lot of stock into Twitter bios, but that is an impressive bio. That that Buckley just read out, that is what your Twitter bio is. That is a lot of things to be. It's it's like I, uh, you call yourself a cult detective, but you're really more of a sort of occult renaissance man. <laughs> well, well, thanks. I was upset because they only give you so many characters. <laughs> there were so many things I had to leave out. <laughs> <laughs> so... First of all, your Twitter handle is at Occult Detective. Yes. What What does that mean? What does Occult Detective, um, in the way that you're using it, mean? Well, okay, so obviously I, I don't have to explain the definition of both terms, right? So, <laughs> no, no, I think our listeners are on board. <laughs> right, so um, as I see it, I use, I use magic and magical techniques to investigate the paranormal. Um, when I first started actually calling myself an occult detective, uh, stemmed from experience I had in the 1980s when a, uh, a conservation officer came upon me and my friends. Uh, we were hanging out at the, uh, the local reservoir, and I was reading tarot cards at the time, and this was during the satanic panic. And he, of course, you know, immediately started giving us grief, you know, for being into magic and such. And I, I think he was, he was feeling us out, but I explained myself and, uh, and I think I did, I did a fairly good job of it despite my youthful, uh, youthfulness. And he asked us if we wanted to see something out in the woods. So me and my best friend followed him out and he took us to this ritual site where they had, uh, crucified a cat and they had a big pentagram and there was, you know, blood and, and all this wow. stuff. And he asked me if I could explain what we were looking at. And so I investigated it as best I could and told him, look, this is, you know, teenage kids probably getting, you know, 
they're jollies, you know, they listening to Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath and all that. And, um, you know, it's definitely what they would term self-styled Satanists, you know. So <laughs> I told him I didn't think it was anything dramatically uh, worrisome. Um, but uh, so a few weeks later, he got back in touch with me and took me to another location because he wanted my expertise. And this was a little stranger. And it was an old abandoned house out in the middle of the country. And obviously people had been using it to party in and such um, for quite some time. And the place was just trashed. But when we went upstairs, somebody had drawn elaborate magical circles and Enochian writing on the walls. Uh, There were spent candles everywhere. And this was obviously somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, At the very least, they had a lot of... uh, uh, research material laid out meticulously copying this stuff. So, yeah, so th- there I was actually helping law enforcement try to figure out what was going on in these two situations. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm an occult detective, just like the, you know, in the stories that I read about, you know? So, um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty wild for me. So amazing. So it kind of stuck. And I've always re- referred to myself as such and, um, there've been other, other cases here and there, especially like up into the nineties, uh, you know, where I'd get called in and asked questions about various things in the local area. So has there been other instances then of, of actual kind of law enforcement contacting you? Well, there was, uh, there was an instance in, uh, the, the town of Muncie where there was a, uh, a, a shooting, um, a young man and his girlfriend were, uh, executed in a park and an occult symbol was drawn on the window in their blood. And, uh, so like I, I talked to law enforcement then explained to them, you know, what the symbol was. It was the, uh, sigil of Lucifer. So, uh, and they ended up catching the guy and it was just, he was, he was crazy. So, yeah. yeah, but probably a budding serial killer that they he was inept enough that they caught him before he could, you know, go on a spree. So, yeah, that's fairly extreme. But by that point, uh, um, it sounds like you were very into the occult and you were very, very knowledgeable about it. How did you first get interested in the paranormal and that kind of thing? So, what were your first flirtations with the occult? Well, I'm lucky enough that I'm of an age when the occult was everywhere in the early 70s, right? So, so it was, I'm a little kid, and like The Exorcist had first come out, and I saw that when I was like eight years old. Right? <laughs> and boy, that, you know, that warped the guy, right? Uh, so, but the occult, like I said, was just was everywhere. My older cousins were all into seances and Ouija boards, and so as a, a small child, I was interacting with this stuff and was just obsessed with everything from UFOs to the Bermuda Triangle and Bigfoot and witchcraft and all that kind of thing. Um, what really cemented it for me, though, was, and, you know, when you're a little kid, you kind of, you still have this, you know, this, this belief in it, but yet you're, you're wondering, well, just how real is it? Well, <clears throat> I was staying at my grandparents one summer. And the bedroom that I slept in had been my great-grandmother's. And she had been 
taken to a nursing home. Well, she had all of her steamer trunks there, and they always told me, you know, don't look in the in those. Well, being a kid, <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> and uh, I'm digging around underneath, you know, old shawls and, and quilts and stuff. And then underneath all this were all these books on astrology. And um, she had, the like, these charts made up where she was tracking the seasons and when to plant things based on moon signs and all this stuff. Well, in amongst all these things was a book by Manly Palmer Hall called Unseen Forces. So I took this book, closed the trunk up, you know, and I'm under the covers of the flashlight reading this thing. <laughs> and he's talking about salamanders and undines and, and all these, you know, elemental creatures, uh, the dweller on the threshold and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm reading it and I realize, wait, this stuff's real. I mean, it's really real. I mean, this guy's telling me it's real, and I believe him. Uh, so that's where it all kind of started for me. So eight years old, right? So <laughs> what a fantastic place to start as well with Manly P. Hall. I mean, that's, oh yeah, right. Fairly, yeah. He fairly heavy, isn't it? Like straight in there for a kid. <laughs> I live. I live out in the country on a farm, right? So um, this little town that's roughly a thousand people is the closest place to us, and they got a little public library with you know, a couple of thousand books at, at most, but they had an incredible occult section, you know, right. They had Gerald Gardner and civil league and just, wow. you know, all this stuff, you know, and it's like, I mean, obviously it's not, a, you know, like 20, 30 books that are all on the occult. And so I'm reading these reading, you know, just, you know, and I never thought to look there before, but that book opened the door. Yeah. And, yeah. That's cool because that's going back to a time which was like when I got into the occult and and the paranormal and stuff, you know, which uh, for me was was um, sort of early nineties. It was pre-internet, well be before we had the internet in our houses, you know. Yeah. And you had to go out and look for the books yourself, you know. You had to find those books, and what you'd find is is usually you don't get the breadth of information necessarily, but you get the quality. If you find the right books, you get the quality of information. You, know, you get your gardener, you get your hall, you know, that, that kind of thing, which, which will make an indelible impression onto a young kid, I imagine. Right. Sure. And when, when you're coming up, you've got Raymond Buckland books everywhere, Scott Cunningham, all that stuff. That was a, that was a real golden age for, for like Llewellyn and, and Weiser, you know, they were just, now, great content. So. If, if there's one book that you, you think really sort of set you on your path other than the, the first one that you read, what would be the one that really changed the course of it for you? Um, probably, um, maybe, well, probably Crowley, right? So yeah. uh, Magic and Theory and Practice was probably the, the most influential when I when I came upon that and read it. Um just the way he approached it scientifically, it, yeah. it made everything kind of click. Even though I'm, I'm not a very scientifically minded person, um, I'm, you know, definitely left brained, but uh, seeing it presented in that way, you know, and yeah, it kind of helped a lot, I thought. I think one of the things which, um, and I, I'm guessing you're similar as well, one of the things which kind of influenced me down these sorts of paths was actually more fiction than non-fiction as well so you know mm. it's, it's films like we've talked about ghostbusters and then seeing um you know i was always fascinated with the darker sort of books 
the weirder books, the spooky books that, that you know, in terms of stories. And I Lovecraft know, and that kind yeah, of thing. I mean, I know Heim was the same. Like, I think I read Lovecraft when I was when I was like a teenager or something. But like, even previous to that, when I was a lot younger, the the books that I gravitated towards were always the spooky ones. They were always the weird ones. They were always the ones that were about something a bit different, you know. And I didn't like uh the kind of main character that you were supposed to like. I I liked the the bad guy or the, you know, and um it's it, you just think like that there must just be it's almost as if there's a certain percentage of kids who that sort of stuff just clicks with and just appeals to. And those people grow up like we did, you know. <laughs> They're the ones. Well, they that... say that uh, if you gravitate gravitate towards uh, villains, um, it's a sign of higher intelligence. Oh well, right, we because Definitely those are usually that. more compelling characters. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. The, the smarter kids tend to gravitate towards them. You're you're not going to like Luke Skywalker. You're you're in love with Darth Vader. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. 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 book Bob um, was that from your local public library as well or by that point had you moved on and found other occult bookshops luckily for me uh, there was a Walden books in uh, a city that wasn't too far away from where we lived um, and they had a pretty good metaphysical section uh, a lot of uh, Llewellyn and Weiser titles obviously so uh there was a great edition of magic and theory and practice there. And, uh, I was uh, about 13 years old. So I <clears throat> borrowed some money off my mother to, uh, kind of offset the cost and, uh, made sure I didn't tell her what it was for. And, uh, it was, uh, great to be able to, uh, get my hands on that book. Finally. Amazing. And when did you start actively ghost hunting? Well, uh, about this, about, eight years old, to be honest. Um, so I, I mentioned that I grew up on a farm. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, out in the country, my grandparents raised, uh, sulky horses. Uh, so we lived in a trailer in this little gully uh, along, uh, Turkey Creek. And just up the road from us was little Pipe Creek cemetery. And, Little Pipe Creek had a bit of an urban legend around it. So it's a, a small little corner lot. Um, and the property was surrounded by a fence. And there was a big wide gate, you know, wide enough to drive two cars through. I mean, it's, it was huge. Well, whenever you walk towards the gate, the gate would open of its own accord. Wow. And you were a woman you would just walk into the, into the cemetery. And if you were a man, 
the gate would open up and then as you went to pass through it would swing and hit you <laughs> so, <clears throat> so i lived less than a quarter mile from this cemetery so late at night um i had a i had a door to access the outside from my bedroom and so eight years old i'm sneaking out of the house and walking up the road to that cemetery and there was an old oak tree right in the center and I would climb up in it and just kind of camp out waiting to see a ghost. And I was there for, I I did this for a couple of weeks uh, before I actually saw something. And then one night, you know, I'm up there and this kind of mist forms in the back corner of the cemetery. Wow. And it's coming my way and it starts taking shape and it to me it looks like a woman and you know i'm i'm, I'm scared witless of course <laughs> uh, you being a you know a small child and then it, it dissipates and um so but that was that was the only time i saw something i would hear things but that was a, the, the only time i'd ever seen anything and it was odd because where those where that mist came from in that back corner that's where the oldest gravestones in that lot were located and they all those all the people that were buried there is like four tombstones they all died on the same day wow uh like 1840 something 1842 maybe uh it's been a long time but anyway so <clears throat> so i was obsessed right then and so i got all my buddies and we formed a, a, a club called the monster club <laughs> and we would ride our bicycles around and go to every abandoned house every local cemetery uh just looking for uh any signs of the paranormal so yeah so as little kid and, and i i had my friends caught up in that for about two years <laughs> you know before they kind of drifted off doing other things so but you stuck um, with it but yeah that was, that was a lot of fun yeah it sounds like stranger things or something like that <laughs> yeah very much well you know stranger things takes place in indiana and yeah so where I grew up was very similar, you know, right? So amazing. Now, to make that that whole situation more odd, um, my mother gets into a fight with my grandmother who owns the farm. So she declares we're moving. So we move out of that out of that trailer on the farm and we move into the little town that we're closest to, about two miles from the farm was where we move. They buy this old derelict house, and it is a dump. And I was very upset because I, I loved the woods, the stream, all that stuff. But so here we are in this new home, and there's an abandoned house right next door to us. And so we start going over there and sneaking around and everything. And then we find out later that our house and the house next to us used to be a church and a graveyard. Whoa. And all the bodies in that graveyard were moved and established that little Pipe Creek cemetery that I used to go to as a little kid. Wow. So that was like a very weird coincidence that, you know, here I grew up hanging out in the cemetery and then we moved to a place and that's where all those bodies came from. And did you uh, experience anything uh, supernatural when you were at the derelict house? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, we uh, what got us going over and sneaking in there is I was seeing shadow figures in the 
windows. Excellent. In that house. I'm, lo- I'm looking out through my bedroom window and I'm seeing these dark shapes moving around inside there. So we would, we would go break into the house, you know, investigate. And we never saw anything in there, but we would always hear footsteps like something following us through the place. And uh, just a couple of years ago, they just dug up a skeleton in that yard. Wow. So all the bodies didn't get moved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so That's a fairly solid start to a career in ghost hunting, though. <laughs> you got some very decent experiences there. Yeah. Was- oh, and, and the house we lived in, <clears throat> my dad was always upset. He would, he would throw a fit, right? He said, well, you guys were making so much noise upstairs, you know, I could barely sleep. Uh, Dad, we weren't even home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so that place was always, always, you know, noises and stuff, banging and clanging. Uh, so, yeah, I was pretty lucky. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good foundation to it. And do you also, or did you then, and do you now also uh, do field investigations for things like UFOs or cryptids or anything like that, as well as ghosts? I, I don't do I, I did, right? So, growing up, I don't do uh, cryptids and uh, UFOs as much as I did when I was younger. Um, <clears throat> we had actually had a crop circle uh, just outside of town here that, you know, I investigated. And uh, we called in Purdue University um, to come in and do some t- soil samples. And uh, it was irradiated. Wow. So... They were very, yeah, it was very strange. It's the only time that's ever happened around here. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty exciting. Had everybody talking at the time and, oh, I've, you know, I've hunted dogmen before. Um, I went on a two week expedition down to Arkansas uh, after some sightings of dogmen. And that's where all my family is from is Arkansas. So, you know, I knew people in that area. So, uh, a friend of mine who lived there invited me down and we went hiking through the Ozarks for two weeks following, you know, wolf tracks and, and stuff like that. Uh, so that was, that was fun. You know, we didn't catch anything, but it was still, it was a good two week adventure. Um, these days it's mostly ghosts though. So what you're doing, these sort of investigations, is exactly the kind of thing that me and Buckley are wanting to start doing more of. And so I was wondering if um, if you would, for us, for our listeners, but mainly for us, uh, if you could give us a sort of beginner's guide to field investigations in the paranormal. Um, because I'm interested in where you, st- even where you start with this kind of thing. I- I've been going through your, uh, I mean, a recent addition to your Patreon um, audience. And one thing that I pulled out from your Patreon was a, a quote that I really liked, which was, educating oneself in the history of a place is the second most important part 
of becoming a paranormal investigator? What is the first? An open mind. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> I really like that. And so I was wondering if you could uh, give us a, an idea of how you begin your investigations and how you would work through. Well, the first thing you need to realize is that it's not like what you see on TV. So there's all these fancy gadgets that people use. And the reality is they use them because they look really good on television, right? right. They have flash lights and they do all this stuff, but they're horribly inaccurate. They don't do any of the things that they say that they're supposed to do. Um, and of course, you know, when I started investigating, this was long before, you know, those type of items you know, even existed. So you know, your K2 meters and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So for me, I use the old tricks of the trade, right? So I use divining rods. Um, I use pendulums. I use Ouija boards. Um, but the most important thing that you're using is your eyes and your ears. Because, you know, you think about it. For, for hundreds upon hundreds of years, people were investigating the paranormal with nothing more than their senses. Um, and you guys are tech savvy enough to know. If you, if you have a good recording device so that you can capture the sounds that you're hearing and then you can kind of amplify it. Because uh, sometimes you'll hear, you know, kind of mumbles. And if you're able to, you know, take it into a good, you know, sound program, clean it up a little bit, you can you can pull words out. Sometimes they're they're very audible, you know, and you don't you don't need to go to those extremes. But uh, for me, uh, when I start out an investigation, the first thing I do is I do a terror reading of the location. And if, if it's like a residential, I'll do a tarot reading of the people that live there just to get a sense of where things are at. Uh, I don't know if you guys are into tarot. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's something that I'm really keen to learn about this year. It's not something that I've done a lot of in the past. I've always used the Ching and, and pendulum uh, divination as my main go-to points for divination but i've got really really interested in the tarot recently right so what you're already doing will, will work right you, ju you just do a reading of the location and of the people involved if there are any um and then you just set out trying to find the hot spots trying to you know just listen for for what the the building's telling you um because in most instances spirits want to communicate with you all right so unless you're dealing with something residual obviously and that's that's just going to be you know like a like a broken loop like a broken record it's just going to sit there and play over and over again yeah i don't know if you're if you're familiar with the stone tape theory yeah, right yeah. so like a look just records something that traumatic that happens and keeps repeating it oftentimes it doesn't even have to be that traumatic i worked a case once where uh, these people saw a woman walk down the stairs, walk through their living room, and then right through the wall of their kitchen. And it's like, so they asked me to come in and look. And so I'm investigating it. And you're doing research on the house. And what you find out is the kitchen used to be 20 feet further out. There was a fire and they tore that section of the house off. So that spirit that was just making the same path every time was a woman coming downstairs and going to her kitchen. 
And that's what she just kept repeating that. You couldn't communicate with her. She she wasn't there. She, you know, she's not she's not real in the sense that she's a a, a sentient being. Yeah. It's just a record. And uh yeah, so you're gonna stuff like that, it's all happenstance. It's like that's an echo, it's, isn't it? It's like a an echo of something that's already happened, just kind of that hasn't quite faded yet. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so, we we watched a film recently actually, it's a new film called um Ennis Men, um, spelled E-N-Y-S, and then Men, and it was uh, it was kind of similar to the Stone Tape Theory uh, sort of thing. It's on like a remote island in Cornwall, and um, it's a very very strange film. It's very like uh, weird. Like there's not hardly any dialogue in it, and it's a very kind of experimental. Sort of it it, it was made recently, but it's made in the style of sort of 1970s experimental cinema. And it's obviously got a lot of nods to sort of the stone tape and the wicker man and stuff like that in it. So, uh, oh, yeah, you should, you should look out for that if you can. It's not an easy watch, but it, it was no. good. It's, it sounds great. Yeah. It sounds like something right up my alley. So. It was funny that you mentioned the stone tape theory, because that's what I was thinking when you were describing your experience as a youngster within that cemetery where you had a corner of graves that all had the same date on the tombstones, which suggested that something perhaps traumatic had happened then that had caused a lot of people to die at the same time. And seeing that sort of, uh, the, the mist coalesce just made me think about that, the stone tape theory, you know, whether that trauma was replaying somehow. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. I don't think what I was experiencing was an, in, an intelligent entity. Um, so, uh, I'd love to re-experience it, but uh, I, I've gone back out there many times and never seen it again. And that's do, do you think that there are sort of? So you 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 mentioned that, and then intelligent entities. Do you think there's sort of different classifications of the entities that we kind of know as ghosts? Do, do you think that there are sort of different types, almost? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So you, you've got elemental spirits. You have uh, the kind of celestial spirits. You know, like angelic forms and demonic forms and yeah uh you've got you know you you know old gods all that all that kind of stuff that, that coalesces with you know the uh you know the those those of us that have not quite passed on yet right so that that haven't moved on you know or find themselves tethered to a location for whatever reason and and we've communicated with with all types um you know if you're involved in magic at all a large part of your magical practice is is consorting with spirits so um that's why i always thought like most ghost hunters should have more of a an education in magic because you know that a lot of what they what they spend their time chasing uh magicians manifest you know in their back rooms you know in a it's interesting that you say that because there's a really good picture on your uh, Patreon that I was looking at and I made a few notes because you had some really cool stuff in there. So you mentioned you had your divining rods, uh, you've got runes, uh, you've got a crystal ball for scrying, you've got smudging sticks, tarot cards, protection knot, you've got holy water. This is some really old school stuff. Really, this is magical yeah. stuff. So I I was wondering what had led you to develop this personal style of ghost hunting because that is like you say it's rejecting the technical approach in favor of a more old school magical approach. 
Yeah, well, I think it's because that's where I started was with with magic and you know fascination with the uh, witchcraft and ceremonial magic, and so it just seemed to me a logical extension. If you're looking for ghosts, then why not use the techniques you know that that people are already using to bring spirits forth? Um, so you know, consecrating a room and and filling it with energy that that spirits can feed off of and manifest for you uh, just makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, and I think also sort of much in line with um, with magical practice. It's kind of what's personal to you, as, as far as I can tell. You know, that's kind of what's important, not necessarily playing by the rules or, or what have you. It's it's almost about what resonates with you personally, what kind of clicks with you and causes that your brain to get into that frame of mind where you can start to experience things, you know, or start to affect change. Yeah. And 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 I, 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 does it? I, I'm, it sounds to me like it almost the way that you're describing it is. It works a similar way to magic, in that you're basically you've found what's your, your your personal thing that kind of clicks in with your brain and sort of sets you sets you off into that place and gets it, results. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't believe in most of the scientific equipment that people are using, and I think it comes back to the fact that. A long time ago, I decided I had zero interest in convincing anyone that spirits exist. Because if you don't believe, nothing I show you is going to change your mind. If you do believe, then, you know, you're already sold on it. But it's not for me to try to convince you of anything. What I'm doing this for is for myself, for me to learn more about me and to learn more about the world that I'm existing in. And that in turn will, you know, help me understand what comes after this. Um, yeah, yeah so. I really like that. It's yeah, really I've never insightful thought, point. I've never thought about it like that before in terms of, um, you know, sort of looking at this stuff is something which can, um, help you come to terms with or understand you know what happens after we die which none of us know um and yeah that's just i don't know it's just a really interesting way of yeah of thinking about it because i suppose in a sense then it fills a similar role to religion in that respect in that you know, for some people, religion to them, going to church, etc., or, or, or any kind of religious practice, to some degree, is um, a, something which helps you come to terms with with death and come to terms with either the death of, of, of a family member or a loved one, or coming to terms with your own mortality. It sounds to me like this is almost like a similar thing for you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, no, no, I, I think you're very right. And if you look into like the spiritualist movement you know, of the late 1800s. That's exactly what that was, was, you know, it was as much a religion as it was, you know, a a ghost hunting experience, you know, with all the the seances and stuff that were performed. Um, These were people that were looking for answers um, and they turned to spiritualism to get it uh, because, you know, they just had found, traditional religions wanting in that regard. So, um, yeah. And they just, you know, had been going through these terrible wars and people wanted to connect with their children, you know? So that's a large part of it too. 
So you'll have those cycles that we move through. If, if you're happy to talk about it, I was wondering, do, do you have any particular religious or spiritual beliefs? You know, are you Christian or Thelemite or uh, agnostic or are you a chaos magician? Or do you, do you have any particular adherence to any particular tradition? Well, I, I grew up in a Campbellite church, a church of Christ, um, but I never really felt an affinity for it. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the, the stories were interesting, uh, but there was just something, no, nothing really clicked with me. And then in elementary school, um, in our in our school library, they had a book called The Children of Odin. Wow. And so at the beginning of this book, um, they're talking about how the, the gods in this book were, you know, the gods of Northern Europe and, you know, the, the people of, of England, you know, the, the Saxons worshipped these deities as did the Vikings in the North and, and all this. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. So, wait, th- so these are the gods my ancestors were worshipped, you know, and so, and, and it just clicked in my head that, okay, like, you know, Christ and it, that, that was a desert religion that didn't really have anything to do with, you know, my bloodline, you know, my people, where they came from. And so I started researching more, you know, the, into the Norse gods, the the gods of the Anglo-Saxons, they were all the same entities. Right. And, and I looked into, into uh, the, the Celtic faiths uh, of which there's painfully little, um, you know, due to the, you know, the way Christianity kind of swept through Europe and kind of snuffed out, all that paganism. So I would consider myself a pagan first and foremost, um, and, and sort of an animist. Uh, I believe there's a spirit in all things. And, uh, you know, where, where I live here, you know, I, I just feel a connection to the earth, the rocks, the streams, the forest. And, uh, and then that's, that's my religion is as close as, I can get That's to great. it. Yeah, and you you do write a lot on your Patreon, and you put pictures on your Twitter about where you live in Indiana, and a lot of your work does seem to be very tied to the place in which you live. Um, and so, do you find I've been talking about this quite a bit on the podcast, as it's something that I'm an idea that I'm growing into, I think, which is the connection between nature and the land in, that you live on and magic itself. Is that something that you feel uh, where you live and, and in your practice? Uh, absolutely. Um, the 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 place I live now, I'm I'm probably fifty yards from where there was a uh, a Miami Indian encampment, and so this whole area was the last reservation in Indiana of these Miami Indians. Their graveyards are everywhere. Their ritual spaces are everywhere. They're sacred sites. You're just surrounded by it. And when it, when I was a kid, you grow up hearing all those stories. There were um, native peoples who would come to the, your, the school and they would tell you the old folk tales. And you're just enraptured wow. by it because you know this is this is you, this is the land in which you live. And so I've always felt like you need to honor those spirits as they were honored by the people who who lived here before you. Because, you know, they are real, you know, they, they exist, whether they're egregores or, or had always been either way, they have, they, 
achieved sentience. And so, you know, when you go out to one of those sacred places, you know, you, you make an offering to them as a way of acknowledging that, you know, you respect them and they in turn may respect you. Amazing. And do you have a magical practice yourself? Do you have any sort of daily practice or anything like that that you do? I do. I just do a simple, you know, daily prayer. Um, you know, I, I put on a, I, I wear a, the hammer of Thor, a Mjolnir necklace, and I just, you know, make a make a prayer to the the old gods, and uh, that you know that's all I do on a daily basis. When I was younger, I was you know and really involved in ceremonial magic. You know, we you know we took part in all kinds of things, but as you, as you grow older, you realize it's it's all kind of integrated into you, and it's not something you have to openly express as much because you've already made those connections. It's it's almost like you have a shorthand with them. So Yeah, Greenfield said pretty similar, didn't he? I seem to think when we spoke to him. He basically yeah. said he used to practice a lot more magic, but now he just is magic. Right. I love Alan. Yeah, we do. We do. We're, yeah, we're, we're big fans. We're big fans and we 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 still yeah. we still um we still stay in touch with him via email and and uh and chat with him share with him what we've been up to um, and he sends us links to things a real highlight for me I, I was in hospital recently right and uh, you know and so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm checking my my uh, uh, messages and and he had sent me a message just with you know you know wishing me you know good luck and hope I I got back and I was just like well that's 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 pretty awesome you know that uh, somebody that as I was young you know just kind of obsessed with with his writings, yeah. um, you know, and to have him reach out and, and wish me well, it meant a lot to me. So. Yeah, we're, we're, we're nice. uh, big fans of, of Alan Greenfield on the show. talked a bit about how magic is connected to the place in which we live how much do you think of how haunted a place is is due to the environment or due to the people living in it when you do your investigations um well oh yeah so if you if you look at the the people aspect um some people are more haunted than others that's an interesting way to put it so i run i run these uh these investigations at a at a, a local building um, it's an old odd fellows lodge and it's, it's the most active place that I've ever been in. I mean, just continuously, just activity night after night. I've never been there that something didn't happen. And there, I bring in groups from all over the country that'll come in and investigate there. It's all very confidential, but, but they, you know, by word of mouth, word spreads they they come in to the place but you can tell certain people that'll come in and you just know oh we're gonna have a wild night tonight because of this one person 
and you could just feel the energy off of them and you know that okay something really negative is going to happen tonight or oh something's going to be very playful tonight based on the personalities that come in and and that's something you can read just by sort of being in their vicinity and just getting a read of their character you can See, yeah, so, like, I've been investigating at this one location since, like, 2006. Right, okay. So I really have an, an intimate relationship with the building. And <clears throat> over all these years, I just I just started taking note of these type of personalities that would come in and how the property would change. Uh, and so that's, that's really fun for me um, because it, I get a different experience from the place when different types of people come in and sometimes the place will be completely dead. Right. And like, I'll stay downstairs and let them investigate on their own so that they're getting a feel for the place. They'll come down. They'll say, man, nothing is happening. I said, all right, I'll come up. And as soon as I go upstairs, it, you know, <laughs> it, it, they, they start putting on a show. Right. So it's like um, one night, one of my favorite things that ever happened was, we're walking up the stairs after they're saying nothing's happening, nothing's happening. So I get to the top of this, the second floor and I say, good evening, everyone. And a, an audible voice says, good evening, Bob. <laughs> and everybody freaks out. Right? <laughs> it's like, like, Oh, that was, you know, that was great. It's so. really funny that you mentioned that because I was listening not long ago to an interview with uh, Connor Randall, uh, you know, who's, now part of the Hellier crew, about when he and Carl Pfeiffer were working at the Stanley Hotel. And he said almost the exact thing in almost the exact same words as what you've just said about how an audience comes in and you'll see someone there and you'll just think, right, we're going to have a really wild night tonight or we're going to have, you know, nothing's going to happen tonight. I think it was on an episode of Weird Web Radio with Lonnie Scott. I'll try and link to it in the show it notes. It was. I listened to that one as well. Did you? Yeah. And yeah. and it was almost the exact same thing in the exact same words. There's definitely something about that. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. I, 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 you wonder, don't you, is that, does that carry across to other phenomenon? You know, is it, do you think that these same people that can um, almost get a reaction from the sorts of spirits that you're working with, would also be more likely to see a UFO or more likely to see Bigfoot. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah. So some people just have that energy. Yeah, it's weird. And you just think like maybe 100 years from now or 50 years from now, there'll be a scientific name for that. You know, there'll be a, a diagnosis right. or a, um, you know, a pathology or something. Um, I think pathology is a fairly negative. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that, well, that's, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying that people will be, it will be sort of almost, they'll, they'll bring out a medication for it, you know? Oh, and, I and, see and, what you and, mean. Yeah. 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 I'm saying that people will be almost, um, treated as being, you know, kind of freaks, uh, for want of a better word, the, the John whereas, Keels of this world. Yeah. Whereas actually this should be, this should be thought of as shamans or, you know, people with a gift rather than a curse. Well, the thing is, is, you know, spirits are so, I mean, they're just, they're so varied, right? And there are some spirits. Okay, I'll just give you an example. One night, me and a colleague were sitting in what would have been the Odd Fellows ritual chamber, their grand hall. And we're sitting in the middle of the room where the only ones 
in there. There are other people investigating elsewhere in the building, but we're, we're sitting there by ourselves being very quiet and listening for things. And up on the altar stage, we hear footsteps and it's moving, you know, from South to North across the stage. And I look to him, he looks to me, yeah, we hear it, and we're, you know, paying very close attention. And then it, we hear it step off of the stage, and now it's walking across the floor, coming right towards us. And all of a sudden, we hear a stomp and an audible gasp. <gasps> and then the spirit was gone. And we realized the spirit didn't know we were there. Uh-huh. It didn't see us. So you surprised and then all of a sudden it did. And it scared it. And then he dis- you know, and he disappeared from us. So that kind of shows you that that kind of multiverse. Yeah. You know, this alternate dimension where they're existing in the same space, but are oftentimes oblivious to us being in it, just as we're oblivious to them. Yeah. And then when the conditions are just right we have that interaction and that's so different um, from what you were saying about the stone tape theory where there was that woman just passing blindly through the kitchen you know that she had done probably a million times you know just the same thing over and over again what you've just described is a being that has its own agency yeah ex- exactly yes and uh, and that and that's the, the that's kind of the whole point is that there are so many different types of spirits that you can almost specialize, you know, you know, there, I'm sure there are people that probably do that. I'm, I'm not aware of, but they're only interested in, in the, you know, the echoes. There are only those that are interested in, you know, this specific type of, of spirit. Um, I, I, me, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, uh, window shop the whole lot of it, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a fascinating field. I mean, and it's it's unending the the depth of it all. Do, do you have any thoughts or any feeling about a kind of unifying idea behind it all at all? So, uh, do you think you know? I mean, do you subscribe to maybe like the ultra terrestrial hypothesis? You know, thinking that these might be beings that are living in a dimension just outside of ours, um, or anything like that? Or do you think that there is just a whole f- different sort of many different, I don't know what you'd call them, almost like different um, dudes. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like uh, different phenomenon. Do you think there's one phenomenon I think I'm getting at? Or do you think, or, or do you think there's thousands of phenomena? I think there are thousands of phenomenon, but I believe that at the end of the day, it all connects in a singularity, but it's broad enough on the surface level that I don't think you'll ever see that singular point until you're on that side of it. Right. Yeah. Until you've moved this plane into the other, and then maybe perhaps it'll all become clear. Um, I just don't think our brains are wired. Yeah. Like the kind of, like the flatlands idea. Yeah. You know, like the the we're you know, as, as if we're seeing things. You know, and, you know the idea of flatland that you, if you were to see things in two dimensions, then a three D entity like we are would seem completely incomprehensible to them. Exactly. Yes, and then just as a, a fourth dimensional 
but yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's the kind of stuff that'll make your brain hurt late <laughs> at night. It does, it does, and then I, I think that um, the great thing is that sort of quantum physics is starting to get into that stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of quantum physics goes over my head, but I do love listening to stuff about it and reading about it because it's just the same as reading about um, supernatural slash paranormal slash ultra-terrestrial stuff. You know, it's pretty much the same thing now. Like, sort of... Exactly. Science yeah. has got... The, the, the sort of more fringy parts of science are really fucking weird now. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by all of it. I don't understand a lot yeah. of it. But I was just I was just reading about how uh, they've been studying a black hole and they watched this black hole consume a star. Yeah, and then like two years later, it starts spitting the star. Yeah, which out. they thought shouldn't happen. Nothing yeah. should escape from the black hole. <laughs> and so it's interesting that you say you, what you said there about just like not understanding it but being interested in all of it. And to me, that sounds, and I mean this with the highest praise possible that sounds like the approach a child would take right right and i feel i feel like what we uh what i i think we me and hein have in common with you is that kind of childlike approach to things where we basically, sense of wonder yeah we're fascinated by things and we want to find out about them we're not necessarily trying to present ourselves as being an authority on them or as being you know but we just love reading about this shit and finding finding stuff out and like you know almost like maintaining that same wonder that we had when we were kids and that you had when you were eight and you saw you know the ghost and the gate and the church and when you first got that book from the library and it's it's the same with us you know we're kind of doing a very similar thing where it's just like a means of maintaining that wonder and almost not growing up. Um, and I think that's, I think that's great. You know, I think more people should do that because it's, I don't know. It's just, it leads to a lot of, um, it's kind of enriching, isn't it? It really is. And there are no experts because none of us know. We're all just, you know, it's all conjecture. It's all, you know, it's all theory and it's all practice, but the actual cemented knowledge eludes all of us you know and if you can make if you can if you can make peace with that and just keep your mind open and explore all the possibilities then uh, you'll be richer for it brilliant i totally agree might be a good time for a, a like a left turn um we could talk a bit about creativity because you do a lot bob um you uh, you've got obviously um you've got 
the investigations that we've talked about. You do music, you write books, you do artwork. Your Patreon, uh, which I highly recommend to listeners, is just full of book reviews. You talk about films. Um, you make little videos. Um, what is the secret to this immense productivity? You just seem to do so much. I am extremely lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I, 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 I kid you not. I, I'm constantly thinking, man, I, I need to, I need to do more. I need to do more. I'm, you know, I'm, and uh, so yeah, I guess it's my problem is is that I have so many interests, and I, I'm not able to cover everything that that I'm that I'm interested in, and uh, uh, I. And a lot of things I just kind of fall into, um, like, you know, like the writing thing. Um, I always knew that I was a storyteller. And when I was in elementary, I would write plays that the school would put on and they were really bad, but, <laughs> but they, but they humored me. Right. So, um, but so I was always fascinated with that stuff. And I thought, well, I would be, I would write novels. And then I would start them and I would just lose interest really quick. And so then I decided, you know what, I'm going to be a poet and a songwriter instead, because that's something I can knock out in an afternoon, as opposed to something that I'm going to spend months on. Yeah. Um, this all sounds very familiar. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, so fast forward, you know, years later and my wife and I, uh, well, my soon to be wife at the time, uh, I lost my job the week that we were getting married Oof. and it's like, Oh, that's a heck of a way to start, you know, a marriage. Right. So, um, so my wife, she was a, in management at a, at a bookstore and, and I'm, you know, beating the streets trying to find a job. Well, she says to me, well, why don't you write that novel you're always talking about while I go to work? So I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> and so, when she would leave, I would sit down and start writing. And then when she got home from work, she would read what I wrote. So I had to produce content every day. Yeah, she was holding you, you accountable. Know, so that she had something to read. Yeah. So uh, I finished the, my first novel in like three months. And, uh, and that was why. It was, you know, I had that, you know that kind of motivation to do so because I wanted to please her and, you know, I didn't want her to think I was just lazing about doing nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so I always had something for her. I think that there's, um, I know that you, obviously that's a, that's a quite a sweet story really. Um, but I think sort of with creativity has always been something that me and Hein have talked about a lot, you know, since before we were doing this and it's always kind of, the idea of creativity and where it comes from and, and what causes it has always been something that's been a, a, a sort of fascination for us. And the, the amount of stuff you do across, uh, across various disciplines, you're, you're, to me, you're the ideal person to talk to about this. Cause you kind of, you're, you're obviously kind of a, a creative wellspring. Um, do you think there is any kind of, weird explanation for creativity do you think there is any kind of you know uh for want of a better word magic or do you think it, it comes from somewhere strange or you know it, it, what what are your thoughts on creativity as a whole 
Yeah, I definitely think that it comes from someplace else. Yeah. Uh, because the the way I the way I write, and and it's kind of true of the way I I do illustrations or write song anything. I sit down with no idea what I'm doing, no plan at all, and something just happens. Yeah. Right there, it is. Oh, I just wrote a novel from nothing. And I'm writing it with no idea where the story is going. And when I get to the end, it all makes sense. Now, it's beyond me how that happens, but it does. And the same is true with, you know, and w- when you're writing a song, you know, it's just, it just kind of falls out. You know, you sit there and you struggle and you struggle, right, when you're trying to do it. And then all of a sudden, it just falls out of your guitar or, you know. And you're like, well, where did that come from? You know, and obviously it's somewhere else. It works the best when you're not trying as well, which almost suggests, you know, that you're letting something happen. I think the, um, I know like you're a a fan of, a big fan of Twin Peaks as we are. And um, Uh I think David Lynch is probably the best like living example of that in terms of his, his, the way he creates and the way, I mean, we went to see a, an exhibition of his artwork in uh, in Manchester a few years ago, and um, it was quite powerful to see these paintings that he created. And if you've ever seen his paintings, they're almost like three D. You know, they've got like layers of stuff stuck to them, and they're, they're they're incredibly powerful pieces of artwork. And and you can see a lot of the almost. Uh, like motifs that appear in Twin Peaks and appear in, in Inland Empire and his other work, going all the way back to a Razorhead. You can see a lot of these same motifs coming up. And it's just, it, it, he, to me, Lynch is um, just like raw creativity, isn't he? He's just like, he's tapping into something that the rest of us tap into a little bit sometimes when we're lucky, you know, on a good night, maybe once a week. Lynch is just in it all the time. He's just like, he's just a constant, he he, he doesn't visit this creative place. He lives there. I think that it's um, what we were talking about earlier, isn't it? But um, I think that he's quite childlike when you see him interviewed and so on. It's that wonder, it's that, in inhibition and that childlike sense of just trying things creating things all the time which is what children do i think that he never lost that uh, i think that he has it on tap whenever he wants it i think also he has access to his dream world more than anybody i've yeah. ever seen mm. it's, everything just seems like a dream that he's that he's creating it's you know it's it's absurd at times just like, just a, like dream. a dream yeah. is yeah and, yeah and that's it's a, it, yeah. i mean it, it makes you quite jealous in a way but then you also think sort of being like that i think there are, there are other people like that in the world but they're not as lucky as lynch in that they perhaps end up uh like homeless or something if you see what i mean you know i think he, he's 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 lucky and oh, yeah. he got into a position where he was able to he didn't have to, uh, he was able to do it for a job. He was able to make money out of it, basically. Because a lot of people who are that in touch with this kind of creative right. place and this dream place and this childlike kind of zone, they're not able to work or function in. Yeah, they don't always have the practical side. Yeah. Um, so he's a, He's just a, I mean, there's, there's there's other examples as well, but I think he's he's the best. And that's, you know, obviously kind of, that's why his work resonates so much i think um 
and I, I think especially one of the reasons why people like Hein, myself and you gravitate towards his stuff because if we feel like wow this is this guy's hit the mother load you know he's 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 tapping into something that we can only occasionally hope to sup from i'm mixing metaphors there i've got a cold i'm not very well i'm i'm just all over the place <laughs> we we're we're dancing around the edge of the pool that he has completely Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dipping I love to toes. hear when um he, when he recounts how he comes up with ideas like the idea I think it was for that scene in Fire Walk with me with the woman doing the dance with the uh Lil. Flat, yeah, yeah. I think I think it was that one where he put his hands onto a warm roof of a car and the sensation just started giving him the idea and the whole thing just came from that sensation it's really really interesting when he talks about his creative process i find especially in terms of transcendental med- meditation yeah, that's as well because really- he, he does the transcendental meditation and that i'm sure feeds into it as well helps him you know helps him helps him see that more clearly and probably helps keep him centered so he doesn't lose yeah, himself yeah that's a good point because something like that would be easy to get lost in. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that that's another another reason why he might be as successful as he is, and and because he's not losing himself, um, which is which is a really interesting way to look at it. That he did write that book, didn't he? Catching the big fish, which was about the connection, I think, between yeah. transcendental meditation and creativity. Yes. How do Fantastic. you? Um... How do you just on the on the on the opposite side of that, Bob? How do you deal with uh, writer's block or anything like that? Do you get anything like that? How do you how do you deal with it? Uh, to be honest, I've I've never experienced it. Well, Lucky. I can sort of tell so... that by looking at the amount of things that you've. <laughs> yeah, by could... looking at the breadth of work that you've. Yeah, produced. I mean, I guess you could see if the book's not coming, you could just write a song. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. If 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 you're just working too hard at something, you just do something yeah. else. And then that that keeps everything flowing, yeah. right? So now, luckily, yeah, I've, I've never missed a deadline. So you know, that's when things get a little crazy. My my wife, you know, she teases me because what I, what I generally do is I procrastinate, and you know, it's like I'm I'm writing a, a comic for uh, uh, you know one of the major publishers oh, nice. right now, um, and so like the the deadline I, I know my deadlines and she'll say hey have you got that issue written yet um uh, no <laughs> she said don't you think you should get started well yeah yeah I, I will i will and then like it'll be like you know a couple of days before and then it's like oh, i better do that and then i'll just sit down and it just all pours out and uh i've been really lucky operating that way yeah <laughs> i just i just i, li- I like that you know that that impending the slight feeling. Yeah. Then- <laughs> I have the exact same thing. Me and Buckley were actually talking about it last week because uh, we, we were both doing our last rights for you. And Buckley had done his in plenty of time straight away. And I, I, I was I was feeling that rolling sort of impending deadline thing to get it out. But there is that there is that I think it does help. It's definitely the way that a lot of writers work, I think, is is letting that pressure of deadline build up, and that almost sort of loosens the creative flow. Yep, yep. And some people buckle under it, though. It'd be easy yeah. to do that. But, you know, you brought up Last Right. That's something I'm very proud of. It's really good. Um, and I thought you guys both were brilliant. Um, 
in your responses. I just, I really, I learned so much about somebody from what they, how they answer those things. It said a lot about the both of us because Hein took like three weeks to do his and I just did mine in a day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and what I did submit in the end was the edited down version it of was my longer. Sort of 10 it page was a response. Lot longer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's a great series and that's all on Bob's Twitter. It's on your website. It's on your Patreon, I think as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but you can get there through through the Twitter as well. And I just wanted to put a word in for the Patreon here because this is what that is one place that seem all of your work seems to sort of coalesce. There's all sorts on there. Um, th- there's different tiers that you can join in at as well. So there are tiers where people can have actual one on one chats with you, aren't there? There are. Yeah, sure. That's uh, whenever technology allows it. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll sit down and talk about anything, really. So there's all sorts on there. I mean, I mean, there's, there's actual footage from that Oddfellows place that you were talking about earlier as well, isn't there? Um, there's 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 snippets yeah. from your upcoming work. There's blogs on there. There's vlogs on there. Uh, there's there's just discussions of stuff like what the paranormal is, all the kind of stuff that I think people who enjoy this podcast would really appreciate. Uh, I'm a late comer to it myself. I kind of found it through your Twitter. I was looking at the Last Rights stuff, and then I, I looked at the um, uh, uh, the Occult Detective Awards that you recently did. That led me to your uh, Patreon. Um, but I'm really, really glad I joined now, and I will put a link to that at the top of the show notes here because I would definitely recommend it to people who are interested in this kind of thing. See, it seems like I'm a lot more prolific because you came through. There's <laughs> a lot to go back through. Because <laughs> there's a lot. There's, a lot yeah, there's a backlog. There's some really good stuff Going in there. Going forward, you may go, wait, this guy's a bum. <laughs> <laughs> We talked a lot about the art that you make here, but one thing that we really enjoy on base is getting our guests to recommend things that they enjoy, the art that they enjoy, whether there's any um, books or movies or TV shows or documentaries uh, that you'd like to recommend to us or that you think that people who listen to this podcast would enjoy. No, yeah, so... I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that my favorite painter today is his birthday. Um, he was born on February 9th, Frank Frazetta. You know, if, uh, if, you, if, you, if people are not fans of Frank, look up, look up. He passed in 2010, right? So he's been gone a while. So there's a lot of younger people that probably aren't aware of him. Um, he was the godfather of fantasy art. he, he illustrated the best cover for the Mothman prophecies ever. Nice. <laughs> You're right. So obviously nothing to do with the book, but, uh, but it's, you know, this great Mothman creature when a, you know, half naked woman cowering before it. Oh it's yeah. Good stuff, I'm just, but, I'm just uh, looking at some of his artwork now on my phone and I, I'm pretty sure I recognize it's this. Yeah. It's that kind of classic 
sort of seventies, eighties fantasy art. Well, he yeah, he invented that look. That's why you see it. Everywhere, I read a lot right? of books like this, and it's like he was the originator of that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, because so. yeah, I mean, all that sort of sword and sorcery stuff. I love all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like my favorite author is Robert E. Howard. You know, which is you know, with all my paranormal leanings and stuff, but I gravitate towards that guy who writes the, you know, the the muscle-bound barbarian. Uh, yeah, for our listeners, uh, uh, Robert E. Howard wrote uh, Conan the Barbarian. Yes, and but he also wrote a lot of really good occult detective fiction, and uh, that's my favorite genre of of fiction. Is I like a good occult mystery story. Uh, Aleister Crowley wrote some brilliant stuff. Uh, the Simon If stories. He wrote one novel using that character called Moonchild. And I would recommend that. I mean, it's, it's dated, obviously, because, you know, it was written in the very early 20th century. But um, you know, those the his fiction is often overlooked. Um, and I, I like to turn people onto that. Yeah, if I was going to recommend like one program for the, you know, the paranormal crowd, I would say Hellier. Yes, right. Which I'm sure you're yes. both fans of, and most people who are listening to your podcast have probably already devoured. I've seen it three Hellier. times now. So. Yeah, it's always uh, a good good time to start watching Hellier again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put on a random episode. Um, the New Kirks are fascinating. Their their podcast, the Haunted yeah, Objects. Great. Uh, with Connor Randall, yeah. right? So if if you've watched it's absolutely that, brilliant. Um, it is, it really is. I mean, it's the production values on that thing yeah. just kill me. I I mean, that's just you know. So that that's where well, I look at the stuff I do, and I say, oh, I'm I don't have the resources <laughs> to do what you know because that's the kind of thing I would like to do, but yeah. It's a lot. A lot of money goes into that, doesn't it? And they've been working up that way for years and years, haven't they? What do you think, Bob? Do you have any idea yeah. or any thoughts or theories about what's going on with Hellier? See, okay, so this is very interesting. So as I as I'm watching it, they're talking about places, and it, I said at the time, this is like what was happening to me in the late '80s and early '90s. It seems like the same kind of things my friends and I were going through, and then they start talking about they start talking about Somerset and they're looking for these goblins, right? Well, most of my adventures take place in and around Somerset, Indiana. Oh uh, yeah. And there's a place that <clears throat> local kids call Hobbit land. Wow. And they call it that because there are these little people, <laughs> these goblin like creatures that live out there in the forest that the Native Americans dealt with. They were called uh, Paswati. And they stack stones and leave little markers. And so we've been out there for 40-some years now, interacting with these creatures, you know, leaving them offerings. They leave us little shiny stones in return. Um, It's crazy, isn't it? Because obviously there's Somerset, down south in England as well, you know, a few hours from Boston, where me. me and Buckley are, and you, and you have the, uh, the the stories of the Fae and all that kind of thing around that area. Exactly. So this that same thing that's happening there, it's happening here, happening in Kentucky, all around that name. Now that just seems 
it almost feels like you're in the matrix. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like we've named this place this, so obviously it has to create a portal for the for the Fae to come through. Just by you know, and it's it's fascinating to me, and that's. But that that was my connection to to Hellier. Is as I'm watching it, I'm like. It's almost it's almost like they filmed me and my friends when we were, you know, in I our think, 20s. I um, think with Hellier, uh, sort of, it was very much a gateway drug for me and Hine to sort of start the podcast. You know, that kind of, that and Penny Royal, the two kind of go hand in hand. And uh, people who've been listening to, listening to oh, us nice. from the beginning will know that that was what kind of reignited our interest in all this stuff. Um, but I think with one of the great things that the, that the New Kirks do is they do kind of, have that kind of sheen to them which kind of makes them a really good gateway drug for people like i know uh my partner wasn't interested in watching hellier at all um but then but then right. she started i told her to start listening to the haunted objects podcast and she did and she loved it and then from then she started watching hellier and loved it because she just needed that little in you know but the the new the new kirks make right. it very easy they're very like um i almost think very of them professional like, aren't they yeah, but it's like, uh, so music-wise, you know, the Gateway Drug album when we were teenagers was Nevermind by Nirvana. That was the album that got that got everyone into <laughs> rock music. It got everyone, you know, who, who used to be into pop music, into rock music. And, and it kind of, uh, th- th- there will have been one for your generation, there'll be one for younger people. You know, it's the Gateway album. And I feel like Hellier is very much like that. It kind of gets people sort of who were outside brings them in and then and it comes back to what bob was saying doesn't it you know you've got hellier you've got haunted objects never mind it's production values the production values uh are, are one of the things that will bring in a crowd we need to up our production values don't we <laughs> that's yeah. what i'm into yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay okay well they also had the benefit of the a perfect storm right so hellier hit when yeah. the pandemic yeah. hit yeah so people are stuck at home with their Amazon Prime, you know, oh, there it is for free. Well, I guess I'll watch this. And, you know, people's minds are opening, you know, all across the world. What about music? Because I know that you're really into your music and I could see a few albums on the wall behind you. It was um, um, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, Sgt. Peppers. What's what are your what are your all time <laughs> musical favorites that you'd recommend to the uh, the younger listeners who might not have come across it themselves well i mean if, for me it is always it begins and ends with led zeppelin yeah. right so i just i gravitated to to them at a, at a very young age uh, the beatles obviously my my dad was a huge beatles fan yeah same you know so because they hit when he was in high school and so i was raised on the beatles credence clearwater yeah. revival my mom was an Elvis fan, so I listened to all the 50s, 60s stuff, the Beach Boys, all that kind of music growing up. Um, and today, you know, I still listen to all of that, obviously. But I also like, uh, you know, a lot of, I don't know, so like Lorena McKinnett, I listen to quite a bit. Um, Wardruna, um, uh, bands like that, uh, Fawn. So I like a lot of, as, as I've gotten older, I, I find myself gravitating towards that kind of uh, pagan yeah. folk music um, that's really prevalent. For a while, we were going to Renaissance festivals a lot, so you'd always hear that kind of 
music and yeah so yeah i I suppose if i was going to turn somebody on to the old stuff i would say led zeppelin newer stuff like wardruna behella have you heard hawthorne um, hawthorne what's that um yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The, 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 I've really got into them. Uh, if you, we, we went to watch um, Legard do a uh, a bit of a a talk um, over in Yorkshire, and um, I, when I was chatting to him afterwards, he mentioned this band that he was in, and I checked them out, and I really, really like them. Oh yeah, and I've also started listening to this guy named Stephen Buckley. <laughs> really, um, he sounds he sounds fascinating. I'll have to search him <laughs> <Yeah>. out. Um, <laughs> Put a link in the show notes. <laughs> uh, I, I I love what you're doing. I just, oh, thank I, you. I just love that. I wish I was still as into psychedelics as I was when I was young. <laughs> it's perfect. It would have been perfect for that. So many people say that. So many people say. I did this gig once <laughs> where there was this guy just stood in front of the stage, massive grin on his face. And he just told me like he'd just taken mushrooms, like and he was just coming up as I was playing and like he just had the time of his life and I just had Yeah. Um that it, that wasn't my intention, but it seems to just go that way. People just seem to like enjoying it with a psychedelic experience, which is fine by me. <laughs> when I listen to it, it it puts me in that headspace, right? So Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a good place to be. I mean, that's something that we didn't bring up earlier when we were talking about paranormal investigations but i used to use psychedelics a lot in the in the early days yeah um because it it gives you that that different way of looking at the world and it allows you to interact with things in such a different way that i found it very useful Um, so mushrooms and lsd and that kind of thing oh yeah yeah Yeah, i mean it's just like a different interface isn't it almost it's like a well, yeah, you're you're exactly. You're using totally different, you know. Yeah, it's the same hardware, but you're you're injecting, you know, alien software into it. So it's very weird. I remember clearly about a half hour of an experience I had the second time I did mushrooms, and it was like um, it was like I could see the clockwork that connected everything. So when I spoke, it turned, it turned a little cog, which turned something else, which sort of then went to the speaker of the music I was listening to and then bounced back, you know, and it kept on turning and everything was connected in that weird way, but in a very specific mechanical way. And it only lasted for about that part of it only lasted for about half an hour, but it's something that has always stayed with me the way that I suddenly saw everything so perfectly connected, like, like clockwork. Yeah. Like the matrix. Right. The, um... I used to take extremely heroic doses of things <laughs> just to see what kind of doors I would open. One, one evening, I <clears throat> ate uh, a quarter ounce of shrooms, <laughs> dropped 28 hits of acid, oh, Jesus Christ. drank a half gallon of rum, <laughs> and smoked a bunch of really quality weed, <laughs> and some other various sundry things, you know. So, so yeah, like like I said, like I just, you know, and then we went to the movies. <laughs> we went to the premiere of The Door. Oh, wow. Right? So, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. And it's like, you know, all right, this, this is pretty good. Because I was a big Doors fan. And then they went out in the desert and they dropped peyote. Uh, and I'm like, uh-oh. Um, yeah, I need to get out of here. So I stood up and stepped out into the aisle. And the whole room was kind of spinning. And I kept seeing the door just kind of 
you know, to leave the place kept, you know, it was going around and stop and then go around. And I said, all I got to do is take one step and I'll be okay. <laughs> I took that one step and passed out oh. and hit the floor, right? So when, when I come to, I, I should tell you what happened while I was out. Some guy flipped me over and started doing CPR on me. Oh, nice. And one of my mates tackled the guy. <laughs> and then two other mates grabbed me and they carry, they're carrying me out of the theater. But I'm unconscious. I don't know any of this is happening. But this is like in March, so it's it's winter time here in Indiana, and the the doors to the theater open, and it shocks me awake, and I think that I'm levitating off the ground, <laughs> and the stars overhead are threads connecting into my body. Wow! And it was the most religious experience I'd ever had. So. Uh, I don't recommend that to your listeners, but <laughs> no. uh, for me, it was a good thing. Um, sounds yeah, like, no, sounds it like sounds sounds amazing. Fear and loathing in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Hunter S. Freeman. Yeah, well, you know it. that was the thing. I didn't realize that was a lie when I read Fear and Loathing. Yeah, you know that wasn't real. He didn't really. Right. And I thought, oh, well, that's just the way you're supposed to take drugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, as so I was always. Yeah, it's maybe. I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it goes back to what we were saying about um, David Lynch and the sort of almost experiencing things as children, or, or it, it, I, I feel like sometimes, sometimes drugs can tap into that sort of area of. And, and sometimes it can work out horribly and sometimes it can work out brilliantly and you yeah. can't always predict, but they do have the capacity to do that sometimes. They are a useful tool if taken with, you know, responsibly. Yeah. We wouldn't, we wouldn't recommend that anyone just goes around willy nilly taking stuff. Um, you know, I think uh, we we don't recommend anyone does this, but if, that is the thing that you have your heart set on doing, then do it responsibly. Absolutely. Yes, please. Words to live by. And stick to the natural stuff, not the chemicals. Um, you know, mushrooms, peyote, mescaline, uh, ayahuasca. Yeah, that's, that's the stuff that was placed here by the gods.
So, Bob, where can our listeners find your huge bank of work? Whereabouts on the internet can they find you? And, and also, can you direct them to um, any particular books that you have either coming out soon or that you'd like people to read? Sure. So the easiest way is to just go to occultdetective.com. I have links there. Or I'm, I'm Occult Detective all throughout social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and the like. Um, I do have a new novel out. It's uh, more like an omnibus of all my occult detective fiction uh, called Landon Connors Occult Detective Volume 1. I have that in my hand. And it's on Amazon. Right here. Yeah, yeah. And you did the artwork on the front as well, didn't you? That amazing uh, artwork. I did, yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and I've I've started reading it and it is excellent. I can recommend that to our listeners. Wow, thank you very much. Yeah, and I, I appreciate very much you guys having me on, and uh, we've loved hope it. to do it again soon. We've loved, it. loved every minute of it. And um, if you want to find out more about Vase, um, we are at Vase and Vase spelt backwards on Twitter or Instagram. So that's at V A Y S E E S Y A V. Uh, you can get us on www.vase.co.uk. Uh, if you want to email us um, with anything at all, suggestions, things to investigate, or ideas, or if you just want to tell us about your experiences, uh, that's vaseinfo at gmail.com. And also, please go to our Bandcamp, uh, where the soundtrack to the podcast is there for download and any money that Buckley makes from that, he puts back into the show very kindly. So that really helps to keep us going here. And we're also on Mastodon. I feel like I neglected to mention that quite a lot. And I feel like there was a time when that seemed really important and perhaps not so much anymore, but we're, we're there on Mastodon as well, which is, uh, I think we're just at base there as well. So thanks very much, Bob. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been a, a pleasure. And we hope that you'll join us on here again at some point. Absolutely. Bob, before you go about your day, I just have one more question for you. Um, sure. So there's a lot of Bobs in this world. There's Bob, Bob Ross, Bob, uh, Bobby, Bobby Breaks off Twin Peaks. And the other Bob from Twin Peaks. And the other Bob, he's not there so great. but No, but there was two Bobs in Twin Peaks. There That's was two relevant. Bobs. There was two Bobs. Who's your favourite Bob? Have you got a favourite Bob? You must have a favourite Bob. Who's your favourite Bob? My favorite Bob would be uh, Bob from Twin Peaks. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, he's... Pretty badass, isn't he? Yeah. He's a force of nature. It comes back to it again. You're finding the villains more interesting, you see. You build that up, and at the end, you've dropped it to show your intelligence. (laughs) 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 See? (laughs) You had it planned out all along. (laughs) Wow, that was like a really long setup. Like an hour-long setup. (laughs) Yeah, but he's got the detective brain. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Bob, I, I can say that after today, you are my favourite Bob. Yeah. Likewise, <laughs> oh, well, even you. more so than Bob Ross, and I'm a big fan of Bob Ross. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>